So I just thought mutants meant like nuclear mutants, you know, yeah, and like, that they were going to be like Frogtown is a metaphor, but no, right? No, but it's literally frog people. It's people who are also frogs. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster from San Diego, California. Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. That's who you are, that's your name, and that's where you are at. Currently, yes. And today, before we started recording, Keith announced that he wants to do the entire episode doing a outrageous Danny Brown impression, which... I don't think exactly is a great idea, but I mean, I guess we'll see how that goes. Wait, who's Danny Brown? (laughs) There was like a 40% chance that you would get that joke. And unfortunately, it it didn't go my way. No, it didn't. Uh, Um, Just so the listeners know, I don't I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) He's, He's trying to set me up. He's pimping me out here, but I'm not taking the bait. Don't fucking fall for it. Know your worth. And demand better. <laughs> Cassidy, do better. Who's Danny Brown? Uh, Danny Brown is a rapper um, who kind of sounds like a Muppet. He's on a lot of comedy podcasts, so I thought you might have run, ac- run across him at some point. <laughs> okay. No, I have not. Um, He's also a pretty legit rapper, too. You should check out his stuff. Right. But he does also rap like a Muppet. Cool. Let's just say it would be very problematic for you to do a Danny Brown impression. Okay. Um, I believe it. We uh, decided on this episode to kind of go back a few weeks to uh, No Sudden Move, the new Steven Soderbergh film that dropped on HBO Max. It kind of went under the radar, and then I I think I found out about it because David Harbour did a Hot Ones interview. You were um, obsessed with that show. It's a good interview show. I don't watch all the ones, just the ones with people I like in them. But it's a, it's a legitimately good interview show on top of also making me hungry for hot wings. You're just, I don't know how it makes you hungry. By the end, they're like throwing up because it's so spicy. <laughs> Some people. Uh, but anyway, he was there, he was there to promote, obviously, um, Black Widow, which had just come out. But he also said, hey, I got this thing on. Yeah, he's having, a, he's having a moment. He's having yeah, a, a good year. He definitely is. It's he, he's doing well with his uh, with his pandemic time. Much much deserved, by the way. I like the Danny Harbors, David David Harbors. You love him so much, you didn't get his name correct. Fuck, edit that out. <laughs> Cut it. I you got Danny Brown stuck in my head. Fuck you. I did. Uh, I like David Harbour as well. Do you remember him? This might be the first time I saw him in a movie. I'm not sure. He might. I mean, he's a character actor. He's been around. Obviously, he broke big with Stranger Things. That was his. Yeah, that was it. That was kind of his big arrival to the masses. But I ain't giving like a you know a lead role. But um, he played a cowboy, a closeted cowboy, in Brokeback Mountain, and it's implied that uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character hooks up with him on the sly. No. He's only in one scene. No, sure, sure. I yeah. don't remember that, though. I I mean, he's one of those people that, like, you know, he got big at Stranger Things, and then it was like, oh, yeah. hey, he is that guy, he's that guy, and then, he, you know. He's a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm sure he was working for a lot longer than that. So I bet there's a lot of stuff that I go back and be like, with actors. We don't know them till we know them. And then once we know them, we're like, oh, fuck, they're in everything. Like, yes, uh, there was one I saw in X-Files recently that I was like, oh, shit. I can't. And it usually happens with younger people, but every once in a while, somebody will hit their stride in their 40s or whatever. Uh, a la Brian Cranston, yeah. yeah. Who was in an episode of The X-Files. Everybody was in an episode of The X-Files. Everybody was in a fucking episode of The X-Files. That is that, absolutely true. I mean, serialized television in the 90s. Uh, at the end of the podcast, for the streaming homework, we're going to be talking about Hell Comes to Frogtown, a movie I can't believe... I'd never heard of before I watched it. I actually can't believe you hadn't either. I slash seen it. I'm shocked. I yeah. Yeah. I'm this feels like it. You should have seen it 10 years ago. Uh, Yeah. It seems like the type of thing that would have run across my radar, but for whatever reason it didn't, but we're going to get into it. We watched that on the streaming network shutter, the horror streaming service. Oh, okay. I watched it on Tubi. Um, oh, well, but I, I guess it without ads, but I, you know, I'm not going to shit on Tubi. They come in clutch quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so if anybody isn't paying the subscription fee for Shudder, uh, you can watch it for free as a guest on Tubi. Yeah. You just have to watch, uh, they have ads like every 10 minutes or something, but it's not too bad. Yeah. It's kind of weird because even though it's a, an app, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it, you can stream it from anywhere. Depending on where you are, it will like click into your local broadcasting. So I'll still get like specific to my area businesses advertising on it. So it feels like real TV, even though it isn't. Hmm. I guess I hadn't paid that much attention. Yeah. I don't know. Or you just don't know your neighborhood very well. What do we think about the poster reveal for the new Jordan Peele movie? <laughs> um, I'm into here's the thing. Jordan Peele has earned goodwill with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the title gives nothing away. I think the title's hilarious. Um, if for those of you who don't know, he he revealed that he's making his third uh, feature length motion picture, and it's just called Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, yeah, the poster. There's like a cloud, and it looks like it has like a kite tail or something. I don't know. I'm yeah. wondering. It's I, I don't know what to do with the Yeah, it feels very like uh, batteries not included, like Ambliny, like yeah, the way the I, po- poster I, looks. The poster doesn't give a lot away. All I yeah. know is I'm fucking sign me up for whatever sure. he does. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I don't even need a poster. I, I thought it was a good poster. I like the look of it. Um, I like the design of the poster. The title is a little jokier than I would prefer, but I've also heard, you know, rumor mill, whatever. There's some stuff online. People say it might be an acronym for like a a governmental agency or something like that. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not that weird to me. Uh, Get Out is very succinct. Uh, Yeah. I I wasn't crazy about the name for us, but... Sure, um, it makes sense. It, yeah, it's it's doesn't it's not bad. It just it, it's a it's yeah, it's kind of vague and nondescript. Um, so but I think yeah. nope is even more so, and it's also kind of jokey. I don't, but I don't mind that. Like he he, he yeah. comes from a comedy background. He doesn't hide that his movies, even though they 
you know, uh, our horror movies, they, they still have elements of comedy to them that are, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm down. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, the other activity I had for us today, before we get into our uh, review of No Sudden Move, the new Steven Soderbergh film, I kind of wanted to talk about his career. So uh, we will be reviewing all 38 of his films. Um, uh, okay. Starting with uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, 1989. No, this um, is a bit, listeners. This is a bit. <laughs> Don't listen to this bullshit. We're doing. No, uh, we have a hard enough. We had a hard enough time trying to do, uh, trying to do uh, Nolan, and he's only done eleven films. Yeah. Um. So now we're uh, the way we're going to pare it down, and we've done this with other directors as well. We're going to be ranking the best, worst, overrated, and underrated Steven Soderbergh titles. And I think of all of these that we've done, this was one of the harder ones for me to do. This is hard because he. He, he he tends to be a very consistent director. Yeah. So well, it's, it's hard to say what, you know, because some stuff is it, you know, a few of his movies have hit the cultural zeitgeist, like, at the mm-hmm. right time. Um, uh, one of them hit the cultural zeitgeist way after its release. Um, <laughs> a few. A few have done that. Um, well, I was talking specifically about Contagion, which right. got, yeah. went, literally went viral. Um, mm-hmm. after the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I'm, for obvious reasons. But, uh, it, you know, he's an interesting director in a lot of ways because, yes, his stuff is pretty consistent. Like, I'm looking at all of them, and I'm like, even the one that I have picked as worst is still a movie I basically like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I should say, I haven't seen all 38 of his movies. There's good five-year gaps or so in between some of the stuff I've been watching. And I, um, I've seen even less than you. I've seen... I mean, he's pretty much done a movie a year since Sex, Lights, and Videotape in, in 89. But that's the thing. It's like, if you look at his spectrum, he's, he's also not a director who brands himself on a specific genre. Yeah. Um, he's he like often a- doesn't write his own movies. So, uh, you know, he'll have stuff that are like crime movies and, and popcorn-y stuff. And then mm-hmm. he'll have, you know, weird artsy movies um, and you know, experimental movies. And he'll he'll do like, you know, straight up genre fair and historical pieces. So he's, he's uh, you know, kind of all over the place. Um, and maybe to some extent, it's hurt him as a director to not have that kind of like brand like a Tarantino or a Kevin Smith or something. I don't think it's But in a way him. he's also been able to kind of yeah. just stay steady. You I mean, you literally said he's made a movie a year since Sex I think he is probably one right. of the most active directors. So I I well, with the exception of a couple movies he's never like you know blown up at the box office. Like critics like him um certain like you know cinephile type people kind of dig him. Um but he's, I, I think even in those worlds, like everyone's expectations of his work are, are pretty like, uh, tampered. Like mm-hmm. it's no one like is crazy about seeing the next Soderbergh movie, but we're always like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll probably go see that. I, you know what though? I think that's a great place to be at the box office. It's like, yeah, you, you're, you're bankable, you're reliable. You can kind of probably make whatever you want. 
And mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be like, you know, Soderbergh. Yeah, he never has to worry about like, oh, I can't do a romantic comedy because then I'll, all my fans will disown me. Exactly. Like, he he can definitely could. Exactly. Like, you know, look at Tarantino and his, and this whole, is he doing a Star Trek debacle? What, what right, is that? Yeah. Is that a thing? Does it count as his last movie? Like, he, he doesn't have that. He could just be like, yeah, I'll direct a Star Trek. And they'd be like, sure. It'll, you know, and, and you know. Yeah, he doesn't going- mind doing for higher work at all. Exactly. So I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like the the dream of a mm-hmm. director is like you can kind of pick your projects. You don't have to hustle to get the next one. Um, and you're bankable enough that you know it's you're probably going to come in the green. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, within reason, I think he doesn't take crazy risks. Well, I don't know. Some of his art house stuff is like pretty out there, but he'll, you know, make it for super low budget. Um, yeah. So it, it you know, it, there's nothing risky in that sense. But I, I think the, the thing I like about Steven Soderbergh as a director is he, he, you like the Twitter meme. He understands what the assignment is. Right. Yeah. He always understands the assignment. So if it is going to be like a more commercially viable thing, he's going to be able to use his budget to to create a movie that looks like that. If it's going to be a little more right. art house, he can work with that. Like he's I think he's a very versatile director. For sure. Yeah. And I would say, you know, even within the wide range of genres he, he works in, there is a consistency in his, in a stylistic approach. I think his, you know, his camera work, he often shoots his own movies, um, as a, under a pseudonym, Peter Andrews is his oh, I cinematographer name. Oh, that's fun. Um, but, uh, you know, he, uh, there's kind of a, a sort of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but there's sort of a flat austerity to his movies. Yeah. Like he doesn't, indulge set pieces like crazy like he does sometimes depending on the movie obviously like you think about the bank heists in, mm-hmm. in, in, or the uh hotel heist in oceans 11 or well, something like but, that but even those but, like if if we're talking set pieces you know it, it they're yeah. not it's even a, a movie like the oceans movies which are a little bit bigger there are you know uh uh they're still usually like restrained to a certain location or whatever you know like the, he's not yeah. globe trotting uh you yeah know, like, i mean uh, he, he could like i could i could imagine him doing um something like a uh a bond movie or something like that and doing it oh, his totally. way um i mean a lot of he's done a lot of crime films that are certainly influenced by like that 60s bond style yeah um and let's let's just go ahead and just get into it because i think <laughs> we're gonna we're kind of giving away the Giving away the ghost here. So, yeah. what do we have here? We'll just start start from the bottom. What do you have as the worst Steven Soderbergh movie of the ones you've seen? Oh, see, this is the hardest. The hardest. It is one kind me. of the hardest one. Yeah. This and underrated, I think, are are hard. Um, see, I almost think the underrated is the easiest because I think like most of his movies are underrated. Yeah. Well, my pick for that might be controversial but all right it'll be for reasons that hopefully make sense sure um did i (laughs) this is going to be a silly question um because we talked about it ad nauseum did i like the informant i cannot remember (laughs) (laughs) we did it as 
as homework yes. on there. Uh, this was one of my assignments, and I had seen it. I think um, I kind of wasn't when it came super out into it, but yeah, I think uh, when we when we reviewed it, you came away a little colder about it than I did. I think you could appreciate some of the writing and some of the characters stuff. I- but, uh, yeah, I think that you are, were kind of more on the negative tip. I think in general, though, probably the movie that – I think the movie that probably comes across the most kind of meh to me that I saw Ooh. was uh, Side Effects. Um, oh, okay. The 2013 thriller. Uh, it's Rooney Mara. Yeah, yeah it's about um, – it's sort of like a murder plot hidden within uh, the pharmaceutical drug world. And sure. I remember I was just, I don't even think it's a bad movie. I just remember kind of being like, eh, okay. Like it just didn't really do much for me. Um, See, I, I actually like that movie a little, little bit more than I think most people do. I, I thought it was kind of, fun and sleazy in like an early 90s Joe Esterhouse kind of way. Yeah. Like movies a la Jade. Okay. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. And I sort of liked that sort of throwback quality to it because it, once it kind of starts out the way the movie goes, it starts out like it's this more grounded um, uh, exploration of the world of like the pharmaceuticals and like the mental health and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then by the middle of the movie, it just goes full like pulp noir. Pa- well, full like paperback airplane fiction. Yeah, and ju- and I think kind of embraces it in a fun way. So yeah. that one is, I actually came over with that with more positive feelings. I I mean, again, I didn't dislike it. It's just of. The movies of his that I've seen, that was one of the ones that I walked away from not feeling, like, overly jazzed about. Whereas usually mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good, you know? Right, this right, one right. I was like, I, and maybe I need to rewatch it. I don't know. So uh, you would even rank that below The Informant? I, well, I think they're kind of around the same area for me. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the informant for kind of different reasons. I remember I was uh, off on that one because it's very idiosyncratic. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the reason I, I almost put the informant as mine and it almost could be. Um, I I think I like it. <laughs> and both times I see, both times I've seen it, that's that's why I wanted to rewatch it. It was like I'm a few years older now. I sort of know what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, more like prepared for it, so maybe I like it more. And I don't think I really moved an inch either way on it mm-hmm. the second time around. Um, I love Matt Damon's portrayal in it. You know, all the characters and all the acting, yeah, is great. I love like the cops and like the interactions between him and the the detectives. And there's a lot of funny stuff in the movie, but the actual goings on of the price fixing. Yeah, it gets Plot it gets a little is a little it, kind of boring. It gets a little lost in the weeds. Uh, that one, and, yeah. But I do think it, and maybe it's just because I saw it more recently. It, it felt like that one left a little bit more of an impression on me than side effects, and that's right because at least you have that great central performance, unlike Scott Bakula and da da da. Exactly, and yeah. and side effects was just kind of like okay, like it's yeah. it's not bad. It's a serviceable thriller, but mm-hmm. I think he. It has done much better than that in that realm, especially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, for the my least favorite here, and again, this is a movie I basically like. I have it on Blu-ray. 
Haywire. That's the one that I was like, have I seen this? <laughs> but I don't think I have. Uh, this was a movie that made Gina Carano a thing. Oh. Um, I mean, she was in the world of like uh, MMA uh, yes. yeah. female But kickboxing. this was like her transition into acting. Yeah. Soderbergh went through this period where he was like plucking non-actors and putting them in movies. And this was one of them. Um, and it's basically, you know, we just watched black widow it's kind of in that sort of like realm of like spy versus spy uh you know she knows too much and she's on the run and you know all these people with guns are after her and she's you know very capable of taking care of herself because she's gina Carano. um and it's fine it's good it's 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 well made the set pieces are fun the the hand-to-hand combat stuff is great um but it feels very surface level i don't feel like there's it's a crime movie. There's just not much of an emotional arc uh, in it. There's not much of a, you know, any kind of social commentary. Not that there necessarily needs to be either of those things to enjoy it on just a spy movie mm. genre thing. But I, I feel like it's it's fairly low effort on a screenplay level. I think there he just really wanted to have fun with fight choreography and set pieces and kind of let everything else go. Like just made it as simple as possible. Just literally a vehicle for Gina Carano to be Gina Carano. And you know, not for nothing. She's never been great. And she was probably even worse then. <laughs> Cause that was her first movie. I mean, yeah. she's, she's a very good physical actor, but you know, they yeah, don't give her a ton of dialogue for a reason. Emotion. And you know, and yeah. also she's canceled. So whatever. Yeah. She's pretty canceled now. <laughs> um although i did like i i liked her a lot of people complained about her in star wars you know pre you know her social media life yeah, yeah. um well and i actually you- thought that she like made sense in that world and i was kind of rooting for her because i remember her from haywire and stuff and i was like yeah. oh okay good it's a shame she decided to double down to flush all that down her for being a total shithead um yeah yeah i i don't know i never felt really one way or the other about her um in star wars i was like i i I was i don't know i was like she's fine but i also like cool we can replace her whatever (laughs) okay what do you have as uh underrated you said this one was maybe controversial for you okay i so i'm gonna say it's underrated because well, I I think it's controversial because it's a massive hit. Um, I am going to say Magic Mike is underrated because I think in the cultural zeitgeist... This is one of his biggest hits. Yes. But I think it kind of gets... Uh, it gets accredited to just being like a, a stripper movie. Um, Mischaracterized. Yeah. And I... So I'm going to say it's underrated because it's actually like a really good character drama... Mm-hmm. Uh, underneath that, so yes, it's a it's a populist stripper movie. It was yeah. the movie of the summer. The you know, all the woo girls were out. All the uh, wine moms, yeah, were you know, uh, their book club went and saw Magic Mike that month. Whatever, yeah. like, and I get it. Uh, there's plenty of eye candy, but there is also a really compelling drama at the core of it. So that's why I'm saying it's underrated because I think it's rated for the wrong reasons right and it's also i i feel like even at the time it was seen as a guilty pleasure exactly like if you want 
I mean, especially for guys, and that's a whole separate thing, but if you, if even if you were like a girl, like, oh, you know, me and my friends are going to see Magic Mike, tee hee hee. Exactly. Well, you, it's not a tee hee hee movie. Exactly. <laughs> and, but I feel like there's this sort of like unspoken tee hee hee there. Yeah. It, and it, I've heard it, the sequel, which he did not direct, is like pretty much just the, the beefcake without any of the. Sure. substance yeah um, um, I'll although be, i've also heard it's like kind of fun in a completely batshit banana sort of way so i whatever may have to watch that uh, i mean i yeah i never saw it but um but yeah so as you know uh uh identifying as a heterosexual cis man mm-hmm. i went and saw it and i wasn't like grossed out or whatever like fucking grow yeah. up if that's you didn't feel like it was not for you exactly i was like yeah. oh this is actually like like this is a really good movie mm-hmm. uh I, and i'm comfortable enough with my sexuality that i'm not like afraid of a man being sexual <laughs> toward the camera well being, yeah yeah being specifically like sexual and lusty and like whatever like that's part of the story mm-hmm. um, i also want to credit this film for putting genuine's pony back in the <laughs> uh like the clubs again and, <laughs> and yeah sure <laughs> that's a jam and it uh, deserves to never be not in the clubs yeah um but also yeah i mean it yes there is male stripping in the movie Probably less than the target audience wanted. And I think that, uh, you know, it's actually a really sophisticated, uh, timely drama about the recession and the economy yeah, crash. I, I think this and is a really, like, you could get a really interesting, if not maybe a little depressing double feature between this and, uh, fuck, what was the one with um, J-Lo? Hustlers. Hustlers, yeah. I mean, that movie's definitely cut from the same cloth. Yeah, and they're they're yeah. kind of in conversation with each other. and um, For sure. And about the same time period. Yeah, yeah. It's just and one was made during the time period. The other one came out five or six years later. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So that's my justification for why Magic Mike is, is, I think, technically underrated. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, for my pick... I'm going to – I have two on this one. I kind of cheated. Um, but I think ultimately it's going to come down to The Limey, which is one of my favorite um, Steven Soderbergh movies, period. I've um, never even heard of that one. Uh, it is a uh, kind of a hard-boiled revenge story starring Terrence Stamp as a man who was just released out of prison. He finds out that his daughter was killed – in sort of the sleazy Hollywood world while he was away. Uh, so he flies from London to America to try and find the people who did this. And it's kind of told in this sort of nonlinear way. So it's sort of combining um, Soderbergh's, uh, you know, cool as ice, uh, hard-boiled detective-y stuff that he likes to do. Yeah. But also it, it, a little bit of his indie art house um, experimentalism with with the way that it kind of breaks up the narrative okay. and uh, has this kind of fractured memory-like quality to it. Um, and it's it's really, really well made. Terrence Stamp is great in it. And uh, I think – who plays the villain in that? It is Peter Fonda. Um, plays the kind of the sleazy Hollywood producer in that. And he, um, they, they, he's kind of tapping into, I think, both of their 
like 60s personas, you know, because they both kind of like came from that, like that time period where they were of the youth culture in that time. Um, and he's kind of like commenting on them now aged out of that. And okay. so there's a little bit of like a meta, like Hollywood movie about Hollywood kind of thing happening in there as well. And yeah, I mean, a very uncharacteristic uh, crime buddy thing between Terrence Stamp and Louise Guzman. Uh, um, Louise Guzman is one. Uh, I he's I think uh, he's like uh, John C. Riley. Like he yeah, just he just elevates whatever you put makes him in. whatever yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I definitely recommend anybody who hasn't seen The Limey to check it out. I think it's a really cool, fun, uh, throwbacky kind of like hard boiled revenge movie. Um, and it also, I think it like visually is, and, uh, uh, maybe even like story-wise is kind of, um, referencing movies like, um, Point Blank, uh, okay. which was based on the novels that, uh, Parker came out of. Oh, okay. So if that kind of gives you a context. Are you talking about like the, um, the graphic novels, the, uh. Yeah, so. The graphic novels Parker comes from a series of novels that were written that were that was then adapted into the movie Point Blank in 60, I want to say John Borman, 1960, okay. 62, something like that. Um, well, and if you're listening and you have not, and you're into crime, thriller, all this stuff, all this sort of genre stuff we're talking about, and yeah. you haven't heard of the graphic novels Parker, um, they're by Darwin Cook. Uh, rest mm-hmm. in peace. And they are, they're just like these fantastic, gritty, like noir uh, comic books. So, yeah, I've read the first one and it's pretty good. And it's like monochromatic, like blue and black. Yeah. And the, I mean, the artwork is just, it's really good. Gorgeous. Yeah. Do yeah. not watch the Jason Statham adaptation, Parker, that came out, oh, um, I don't I know, like eight years ago or something. I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. Gross. That's just a big old pile of duty. But if you want to see a better version of, uh, of a similar idea, watch the Limey. All right. All right. Uh, so that was for underrated. And also, I'm just going to quickly slip this in there. My, the second running in that one was the girlfriend experience. Um, starring Sasha Gray. She was the other non-actor that got pulled into the Soderbergh universe. Um, she uh, was originally a porn star. Uh, and uh, in this, she plays a, a young prostitute. And I think it came out not that long before or after Magic Mike. And they both kind of deal with similar subjects of like the sex industry is a way of selling yourself for the entertainment of others while you're kind of putting your own hopes and desires on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And this um, one, um, with, I think, got, didn't this get adapted into uh, like a, a TV show? I think show? there was a show, yeah. Yeah, on one of the, one of the titty networks, one of the networks. Yeah, and, and I, I can't speak to the quality of the show, but I like the movie. It's a lot more independent, a lot more experimental. It's, it's, um, Certainly made on a super low budget, but uh, I don't. I don't think a lot of people saw it or even knew about it. But um, yeah, that one's that one's pretty good. All right, all right. What do we say? Where are we now in this? Uh, we did worst and underrated. All so, right. So we need. So what do you have for overrated? Um. So this one, I think I probably have a little. I, this one probably isn't fair because I saw this movie when I'm sure I was way too young. 
Um, but okay. I'm going to say his, the most overrated movie to me, in my experience with Steven Soderbergh, was Traffic. Um, oh, okay. Which, uh, at the time, was critically lauded. It won a bunch of Academy Awards. Didn't even win it was Best nominated. Picture. Hmm? Didn't it win he, Best Picture? Uh, he won Best Director for it. That was the year. So, get this. That was the year that Gladiator won Best Picture. Ah. And... He, Soderbergh, had two films up for Best Picture. Oh, Jesus. He had, you know, basically, you know, two out of like five or six chances of winning this thing. Because yeah. that was, he, at the same year, he had Traffic nominated for Best Picture. He also had Aaron Brockovich nominated for Best Picture. Well, that is insane to me that those came out the same year. Like, in my head, Aaron Brockovich came out in like the, like, 96 or some shit. That's, no, yeah, it was 2000. That's that was like kind of like a semi comeback for her because she hadn't done anything kind of towards the end of the 90s um, or nothing big. And then Aaron Brockovich was like, remember, we like Julia Roberts. Crazy. And she won, I want to say, Best Actress for that. Yeah, I, I believe so. I don't yeah. know. Anyway. Because the real Aaron Brockovich like went up with her and made a boob joke. You can Google all that shit. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all I know is I I saw Traffic. I was probably, again, I was probably too young. I should probably give it another chance. Yeah, um, we were in our early teens. But I just, uh, I remember not being thrilled at it. And again, this was nominated for a lot of awards. Um, and so... I don't know. It just, to me, when I'm looking at his body of work, of the stuff I've seen, I'm just like, I feel like other stuff is better than that and probably deserve the attention that Traffic got. Yeah, I I, you, here, I feel I'll, you a little. It didn't, it didn't move me one way or another enough to end up anywhere on these picks. Sure. Um, I saw, I, I, probably the same time you did, I rented it when it was on the new release wall or whatever, and didn't really know what it was. I knew it was about the war on drugs, you know, yeah. overall, but I, I didn't know that it was kind of told in multiple stories that, you know, sort of interweave. Um, yeah, and I mean... And I not that that's the problem with the movie. And there's certain, there's certain stories, even at that time, that resonated with me more than others. Like, I think... Um, the Michael Douglas story with his daughter, like he, they live in DC, that they're involved in, like you know, the political happenings or whatever, mm -hmm. like of that level of the drug drug war, and he's like this, like kind of far right reactionary politician or something like that, and she is his like valedictorian prep school daughter who's like secretly doing meth in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And and it's Topher Grace is dealing it to her in like yeah. these prep schools. That story was really compelling to me, probably because there was young people in it. Um, <laughs> and whereas like the stuff on the border with Catherine Zeta Jones, like uh, smuggling in cocaine made out of like porcelain dolls or whatever, and Benicio del Toro is I think like a double agent or something like that. None of that really did as much for me at the time. I thought those scenes were kind of boring. But I, I too need to rewatch it because I think I certainly was too young for it at the time. Yeah, and but when I think about rewatching it, like I'm looking at it on IMDb and I'm like, God, it's two and a half hours. Like it just right. It, you gotta I, you gotta invest some. Yeah, some and I just remember like when I saw it, I, I just felt kind of like it just felt very daunting, and I was, you know, I I don't know, it just didn't leave me. With the best taste in my mouth, which I don't think it's a dark film. I mean, it is it's not. 
like a fun watch. No, I. But I again, I just knowing how how well it did critically. I, I'm. I don't know. I just. I think it is the better version of Crash. The uh, Paul Haggis crashed that did win best picture later on well fair enough i i never even saw that one but um <laughs> uh i have a i have a quick question before we sure. move on did you ever see maybe this would have been better earlier but did you ever see the his like early 2000s remake of solaris with george clooney i did not uh because i hadn't seen the original and i didn't i knew that there were two by the time I knew that he was attached to Solaris, I didn't know that um, there was an original. So at that point, I wanted to wait till I'd seen the Tarkovsky version before I watched the the Soderbergh one. And now, I mean, I mean that one is so kind of singular in my mind. I'd be like watching a remake of Two Thousand One Space Odyssey. Yeah, um, well, exactly. And I think. I, but people I, people kind of like it. I mean, I really? think it was sort of panned at the time, okay. but over time it has it has sort of gained um, more of a critical appraisal. All right, fair enough. I yeah, I just um, I never saw it, but I think I remember it being pretty maligned at the time it came out for sure because it was hollowed ground. Yeah, you know, like I said, be like remaking two thousand one or like Seven Samurai. Uh, I guess a lot Shining, of people have made Seven Samurai, yeah. but. But yeah, it, it it I think over the last like ten or twelve years or so, that movie is like kind of come around again. It's like actually, it's pretty good. Okay. So I should watch it, but it hasn't uh, been at the top of my list. So, what is your pick for the most? Uh, was this overrated? Overrated. Um, and this might be kind of controversial. Um, I'm going to say Ocean's Eleven. Oh, interesting. Um, not a bad movie. A fun movie. A good watch. Um, but I think for a lot of people, this is, I think, his commercial peak. Um, maybe some of the other Ocean sequels did better uh, uh, money-wise. But this was, like, his first blockbuster. Well, yeah. And this is, I mean, the other ones might have made more money. But I this is the It was one off I, the goodwill of This of is the, the one first. everybody saw. This is the one yeah. that, yeah, has all Just the technically a remake. Touchstones. Yeah. Um, and, uh... It's fun, and I get it. I totally understand why people love it. I kind of feel similarly about this as I do Haywire, um, in that it's doing all the genre stuff right. Um, and I think you get a lot... You, it's obviously a big part of the goodwill toward the film comes from the ensemble, mm-hmm. um, and people sort of you know like to see those actors working together at the peak of all of their abilities. Great, And, and it's very set-piece heavy, and it's it's stylish and cool and, you know... Does all that stuff, but I, I do I don't think there's a lot to it other than a solid heist movie. You know, like I don't really come away from it feeling like I really know much about or you know have deep connection to any of the like eleven characters. They're just kind of pawns in this plot. All right, fair enough. You know, I'm and I've never been like I've never seen Ocean's Twelve or Thirteen because I was like. This is good enough. I don't know if I necessarily need to like see what they're doing again. At VC Cassidy slash Stick in the Mud. <laughs> it's fine. I would totally watch it again. I I'm not mad at it. I just think given that this is so, for so many people the movie they know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like there's so many better and more interesting. All right. Okay. So here we go. This is uh, down to the wire. 
What do you have as the best Steven Soderbergh film? I'm going to say Ocean's Eleven. You basic <laughs> ass bitch. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I, I I totally can understand why somebody would say this. I, I think there's a reason why this movie appeals to so many people. It is cool. It's a cool yeah. movie. It's it's uh it's a fun movie. It's it's got great per- it's all the things you just said. It's got Ooh. great performances from all of these people at the height of all of their sort of acting prowess. Uh yeah. I and the the height of their Hollywood heat. And I think it's it's just it kind of brought back heist movies. Like they they weren't really a thing for a while and then Ocean's Eleven came back and I mean, is it a perfect movie? No. Is it? I'm including all of the cultural zeitgeist around it as to why it is his best movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, technically, is it his best? Probably not. Um, I don't well know. Made. I don't. I don't. I don't knock anything on it for a technical level. Uh, I mean, I do. I do kind of agree with some of your criticisms. Like, you know, some of the characters are a little shallow. Um, you know, but there's just a lot of them. Yeah, when you're dealing with eleven characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember I liked this. Uh, I didn't really care for the second one. Um, that kind of just felt like more of the same. And then mm-hmm. I remember I liked the third one, but I only saw those like the one time. But this movie I've seen like a thousand times. I've seen really. Yes, I've seen it so many times. Was it and just always on TV kind of thing? Or like you've, you've like, okay, everybody, we're having an Ocean's Eleven night. Uh, I think both. I think both. Get out um, the uh, playing cards. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, well, I don't think I own it. So it's probably just like <laughs> I've seen it on TV a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's just a cool movie. It's a fun movie. You can watch it literally anytime. It's, yeah. it, it's sort of an any mood kind of movie. So I think... Kind of comfort food sort of Yeah, thing. but I yeah. don't think that's a bad thing. I think uh, no. I, I think it is... And as far as like comfort food, commercially viable movies go, I think you could do a lot worse because Hollywood kind of has. Yeah, so I just... You recently I think, saw it with the uh, Zack Snyder thing, the... Uh, yeah, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I... Uh, the other ones, I think, kind of in the contention for his best movie, I think might be Magic Mike. Um, I, I know people really liked Logan Lucky, but that kind of just felt like a redneck Ocean's Eleven to me. You know, like, Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, that's another one that doesn't move me one way enough uh, or the other enough to end up on anywhere on this list. It's just a solid entry. Uh, but, you know, again, I've only seen like a third of his movies. So there might be something else better on there, but all out of all of his movies, oceans 11 is the one that I probably enjoyed the most. Yeah. That I, like I said, I, I, I totally get it. I just, I think there are better. And, uh, I totally get your justification for it being overrated as well. But I, (laughs) in my heart, I'm like, but it's still such a fucking fun movie. It's so right. It's such a good movie. So I think the movie that kind of ramped up to Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. where he sort of built his stylistic chops to get to that point, is what I have as my the best, and that is Out of Sight. I knew you were going to pick this, mm-hmm. and I was going to try to watch it before 
we recorded. So I've yeah. never seen Out of Sight. So for well, maybe we'll make that homework at some point. But um, I don't know if it's even streaming. But uh, yeah, it's on yes. HBO Max. Uh, this is uh, adapted from a Elmore Leonard novel. Um, and it came out within a couple of years or just a year of Jackie Brown. Um, and this is, this is like when Elmore Leonard stuff was coming out all over the place. Uh, you know, Get Shorty had been just a couple of years before that. Um, and I, th- this and Jackie Brown are like hard for me to choose, which is the better adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like both movies almost equally. And I think this is, it, this does all that stuff that everyone likes about Ocean's Eleven, like the cool kind of atmosphere, you know, the like, uh, jazzy score in the background when they're, you know, doing the tracking shots and all of that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have, you have, uh, uh, George Clooney when he was at his most, you know, sexy and Hollywood and, I mean, and it guy just Soderberg right off and of Clooney are always going to be like a winning combo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this is, um, it's a really, this is, to me, what I what pulls this over Ocean's Eleven, why I think people who love Ocean's Eleven so much should go see this or should watch it if they haven't before, is because I think it, this does have a little bit more depth as a story. Um, and this has a big ensemble as well. He likes his ensembles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think well, you and know, he's the, good at him. He's real. I think he's really good at like sort of balancing all the plates. Yeah, characters and and this one has a. Uh, you know, it's, it's a George Clooney escapes from jail and he's a lifelong con, uh, been in and out of jail his entire life and uh, a bank robber, um, a very suave bank robber. And he is being pursued by Jennifer Lopez, who begins to develop feelings for him along the pursuit, um, which complicates everything. And then they get kind of roped into this. Uh, crazy heist in Detroit uh, with uh, Albert Brooks, who uh, was in jail with George Clooney at an earlier point of time. Um, this is one of my favorite Don Cheadle performances, uh, playing the kind of the heavy in this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, this is just this is a ton of fun, a, a ton of memorable scenes and dialogue, and I just think it's him at his peak capabilities of doing like a movie, just like a, just a straight up, you know, whatever the cinematic equivalent of a page turner is. I mean, you're saying it's like his peak at that. That was 98. He's done so much. I mean, yeah. And he's done a lot of great stuff since then, but uh, I mean, I I still see this as like all cylinders. All right. You know, and, and it's the bar I usually judge other Soderbergh films on if he's in this mode, if he's doing genre stuff. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, I like I said, it's it's kind of I. You've talked to me about this one quite a bit before, like mm-hmm. uh, off the podcast. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to see like pre-pandemic. I was lucky enough to see a uh, double feature with this and Jackie Brown at the New Beverly in Los Angeles. Um, oh, cool. A couple years back, and that, that was really cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and just parlay that right into our review of No Sudden Move. Which is uh, on HBO Max. Keith, what is this movie about? So this movie is about three guys, three sort of criminal uh, underworld types, uh, are given this assignment to uh, watch this family. And uh, while they watch this family, 
one of the guys is going to take the dad of the household, the, the man of the house, um, played by David Harbour, to work to get uh, a document from a uh, safe. Uh, the other mm-hmm. two are going to watch this family and make sure nothing crazy happens. So it's it's this sort of, you know, kind of standard high, not standard, but it's this heist setup. Um, and then, you know, of course, things don't go exactly as anticipated mm-hmm. uh, and shit goes out of control from there. Um, and and situations turn, you find out uh, a lot of things may or may not be what you initially were led to believe. Um, the three criminals are played by Don Cheadle, playing Kurt Goines. Uh, Benicio Del Toro play, plays Ronald Russo. And Kieran Culkin as Charlie. Speaking of, uh, yeah, both Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro are Soderbergh veterans. And yes. uh, like with Clooney, I think it's you, you can't really go wrong there. No, they they certainly work really well together. But um, amongst all of that, you also have uh, John Hamm uh, is an FBI agent who is trying to sort of sort things out. Um, and uh, Brendan Fraser, uh, fun surprise as as sort of the criminal wrangler who was putting this job together. Um, yeah. And then of course, there's a lot more uh, characters as things kind of spiral out of control. Yes. There's more and more interested parties kind of come along and everyone kind of realize once everything's gone to hell and the plan is definitely gone completely wrong. More and more interested parties come in as there's more and more money to be made. Yeah. Um, and uh, double crossing, triple crossing and such occurs. Yeah. So this movie is definitely within uh, the crime genre wheelhouse. Yeah. It, it feels like very, you know, comfortable and familiar territory for Soderbergh. This is a period noir. Uh, yeah. So I want to say this takes place in the 50s. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, judging by the vehicles uh, in the film and sort of the dress. Yeah, um, the beginning where it says 1952. That probably helped, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, just come, first of all, just coming off of Space Jam where Don Cheadle, like, shit the yeah. digital bed, like, so hard. Well, it was so nice to see him, like, I totally redeem himself he, here. <laughs> I kind of wondered if that's why you wanted to see it. Uh, but also... If no, I didn't know he, uh, the extent of... Uh, his role in this movie he's basically the main character yeah and if uh yeah between him and and benicio um yeah yeah no it was definitely nice to see as well as david harbour and his wife played by amy simons yeah yeah there's definitely like a solid b or c story going on with them um uh yeah and he's also really good in this movie we should say this Takes place in Detroit. It's funny we did that whole Detroit thing last week, and now it's, <laughs> this movie is so heavily Detroit oriented. In fact, uh, Harbor uh, works within the ranks of GM, I think. Right, uh, one of the major car corporations. I don't, I, I don't know if they. I don't know if they specifically state which company he works for. They probably do. There's a lot of uh, a lot there, of ins there, and outs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of car companies mentioned. Yes, um, and this all kind of takes place. Within a time period where 
there were some controversies that had to do with the catalytic converter and car companies sort of hiding the pollution science that was going on. And that's sort of what's being held over some of these people's heads in this document, this MacGuffin that everyone's after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting and cool the way Steven Soderbergh will take sort of like the, the this like real life science mm-hmm. uh, or real life stories and apply it to genre like storytelling. So this, yeah, yeah definitely has to do with cleaning up cars and, and the amount of pollution they put out, you know, like uh, right. contagion deals with this outbreak of a deadly virus um, right. Uh, side effects is, you know, definitely within this world of pharmaceutical companies. Traffic health, is, yeah. you know, the war on drugs. So I think it's, I think it's fun and cool the way he does that. And and yeah. I don't know a lot of directors. I can't really think of anybody else who kind of does it the way he does it. Hmm. We should say this is written by Ed Solomon, um, who uh, who did the screenplay. Um. Yeah, I really like this movie. And I'll be interested to hear what you think about this criticism. But I think I like the first half of the movie a little bit more than I like the second half. There was sort of a sustained tension when it's them in that house and it's all very close proximity, very intimate, Um, you know, them in masks and just waiting for the, the phone call or waiting for them to come back. And, you know, Amy Simons is... Uh, she's great, but she's, you know, kind of plays this like, uh, Midwestern housewife. Um, but it's totally wrecked the whole time, but trying to hold it together and, uh, chain smoking throughout the movie. And And in a way, in a way that women had to do in the fifties, that is right. Yeah. There's kind of an expectation that we see the family dynamic play out where, you know, Harbor is like trying to maintain his like masculinity in this, even though he's, you know, completely, completely humiliated and demasculated throughout the entire events of this robbery. I, you know, he has to worry about his job. He has to worry about this his marriage fling he's having on the side, and it's all kind of coming to a head. And I found all of that interpersonal stuff, and this is maybe just the type of person I am for movies. I found that more interesting than the second half of the film when the gangs are getting involved and we start to expand the cast more and the MacGuffins start doubling and tripling. Yeah. And then it's about this kind of exchange of hands of money and who's double crossing who. Yeah. And st- uh, I agree with you. I think the opening 45 minutes of this movie is yeah. a fucking firecracker. It is. Yeah. It is just so good and so tense and and there's all these god these just i mean again he's such a good ensemble director and there's all like there's even just like the opening scenes building up to the heist with Mm -hmm. um brendan fraser which i mean brendan fraser unfortunately he is not the heartthrob he used to be but he is still so good to see on screen he is still yeah he's really good here charming and and he does so much with with just like so little in the first moments we meet him um mm. i i didn't i didn't recognize him at first i i was like oh shit that's brendan Fra-. like it took me yeah i had to rewind that first scene and be like oh fuck that was brendan fraser because he kind of even sounds a little different at first he's putting on kind of like a gruffer sort of voice he i mean he's he's very 
you know, he's an actor who builds the in, the internal yeah. as much as he does the external of whatever character he's playing. So he he if he fully inhabits this kind of mob heavy type. I just I I just want to say it is so I mean he is kind of had a comeback with Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does he I mean I don't want to get into like the physicality of the role, but it's kind of hard not to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Does he look like this there? Oh, he, no, in Doom Patrol, he's a robot, right? Yeah, so... So he doesn't uh, actually appear physically in the show, does he? No, he he does. Um, you know, he's definitely gained some weight. Um, uh, in, but is it as noticeable as this? No, I mean, yeah. Yes. here he's, like, definitely heavy. Like, you know, you would use no other descriptor. It... it so in Doom Patrol, he he plays this uh, like aging um, like NASCAR racer who's kind of past his prime, and mm-hmm. he, he fits that as well. But uh, uh, I mean, yeah, if you're comparing him to George of the Jungle, definitely. Well, but sure. you know, I, I physical don't, peak. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want this to like get too. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not shaming him or anything, and I I have no room to shame him in that department, but. I, I just wondered, because there's also another thing going on in this movie, and um, I listened to the uh, his, uh, Soderbergh's podcast with Mark Maron a little while before I watched this, Okay, and um, he talked about this lens he was using throughout the film, which sort of fisheye lens everything. Yes. It's a, it's a wide lens. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, and, I, and throughout the film, the edges of the frame are kind of curving mm-hmm. uh, intentionally. And you don't notice it as much in close up and things like that. There are some shots, yeah, where like the wider shots, shots or tracking shots, things like that. Yeah, uh, we you, you there's a uh, noticeable distortion of the frame. And I thought even John Hamm was looking a little puffy in well, this film. I, th- I think John Hamm's might be getting a little puffy. He's you know, he's yeah, firmly in his fifties. Like people age, they're you for know, sure. Yeah, they can't keep things as tight tight in yeah their 30s um and he's not doing like a shirtless scene in this movie so he probably doesn't have to all you know but but yes i i think the camera might have contributed to that a little bit uh my point was it is just so good to see brendan frazier um yeah i, I hope he's doing much better um uh, because i am a fan and i i, I want to see him in more shit and you know hopefully this Doom Patrol. Hopefully, he's building some, uh, you know, some, some comeback momentum. Yeah. Um, even For if sure. it's just character acting, like he's been doing, and and you know, maybe that's maybe that's better for him now than. But uh, but he, again, he does a lot with a little. But so does everybody in this cast. Yeah, I think Karen Culkin, who you uh, wouldn't Kieran immediately Culkin's think so of, is being like. To well, the, you the one think, to play alongside mm, these would, two actors. You wouldn't think that if you haven't seen um, Succession, because he is fucking right, fantastic yeah, that's, in that. That's I, um, I've I've seen a couple episodes of that. Yeah, he is good in that, and he is very good here. But he's playing, you know, this very. This would have been like an early '90s Steve Buscemi role. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's this kind true. of like emaciated, like sleaze bag he's um, the, he's the one ha- who has like no scruples no yeah absolutely you don't no know morals. he's the wild card you don't know what he's gonna do yeah uh in yeah. and, and the tin uh, again the first 45 minutes of this movie the tension is it, it's just it is 
expertly done. It is Mm -hmm. just on, it is balanced on a knife's edge. It is so good. And we even learn kind of earlier on in the movie, because the team's kind of put together, sort of ramshackle. mm -hmm. These, they don't really know each other. They're, you know, they're being pieced together by someone above them. And their level of trust and honesty just between them is you know, varying and 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 all, all over the place, and we well, see Don mean, Cheadle has a very of, different internal monologue throughout the movie than the other two. Yes, uh, I mean, and that's kind of what this whole movie is about. Is yeah, you know, you can't trust anybody. So who do you trust when you can't trust anybody? Um, right. Uh, in, in you know, it's funny we can't remember the title because that fits very uh, thematically with with everything that's going on. You know, the characters that kind of keep a cool head and uh, don't act irrationally tend to fare a little bit better in this movie. Right. Um, right. No sudden move. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I do, I do agree with you that this, my criticism with this movie is it starts to feel a little long in the tooth and it does start to feel a little like twist upon twist upon twist. And, and I, I do start to get lost in the weeds a little bit of like, well, who did what? to owe who what money and what's the thing we care about and who's connected to it and it does get a little like labyrinthine in its plot structuring towards the end and yeah it gets to the point where you want to like draw a flow chart of like who are all these interested parties and who's double crossing who and for why and i like the fact that the first half of the film isn't so narratively technical no, and the, then, the first is just, it is so simple. It is just, yeah. your job is to to keep an eye on this family. My job is to get this thing. And I, I, I think that's why I liked the first chunk of the movie more is it has so much room to breathe that he, Steven Soderbergh is able to like just milk these small character moments yeah. for everything they're worth. Whereas in later... It's just pure scene work. Exactly. It, yeah. it, it is like a master class in, in just establishing everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then as it goes on, you know, we the movie becomes a little bit more concerned with the things. And a little right. less... You know, it, it just feels a little less like it can take these moments... Um, but that isn't to say this movie totally loses that. Like, no, it's still... not a crash and burn. There's just like a a definite ebbing of the momentum that happens. Yes. And then as we're kind of like learning more and more and more about you know all these different people and all how they're involved, and it just feels like the emotional tether is starting to slack a little bit more yeah, and more I, and, as the movie kind of forgets about it. And I just I really liked the simplicity at the beginning i really right. liked just how i it, it just it feels like a director showing off um but who who has the skill to back it up uh and, and actors showing off but have the skill to back it up right right i mean that's it's what he does when he does it best which is competent technical filmmaking that isn't waving its hands and arms in the air telling you look at me look at me yeah, it's 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 he's just letting the camera tell the story. Um, that second half of the movie, it's again, I'm still in it. I'm still following it. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm still invested enough from what we've seen before to be rooting for the right people and everything. But I, it does become 
sequentially less. Well, it's way less tight. Way yeah. less story story oriented um, as each scene kind of passes. Yeah, yeah. I I think it kind of it starts comes... to get into the bigger picture stuff, and until yeah, I think. It and comes do we want to do we want to spoil this or not? Because I think it was kind of hidden for a reason. Yeah, I I don't I don't necessarily want to say. There's it, but... a I'll just say this. There is a a a, a guest feature. Who comes in the cameo. Uh, yeah. towards the towards the end of the film, and I think as sprawling and messy as things start to get, he almost singularly pulls it all back together. I agree. Yeah. Uh and I think the movie needed that. And from that point on, yeah. I kind of felt the same as I did at the beginning because mm-hmm. all of the stuff has sort of resolved at that point. Yeah. And it's just sort of letting these these stories play out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where this movie is at its best, is is when it's just sort of letting these stories, like you said, unfold in front of the camera. Right. Everything kind of comes back around. Uh, Noah Jupe? Jupe? Noah Jupe? The kid from uh, the Quiet Place movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's real good in this. Yeah. Um, as uh, David Harbour and Amy Simons' son. And... Um, Yes, obviously the the Quiet Place movies were big, and he has been a thing because of those movies. But I see this performance, and now I'm thinking like, keep an eye, keep an yeah. eye on this kid. He's yeah. going. I mean, he's going places. He, I think he's going to be a hot property in the coming years because his his level of interior acting. Here and now he's like getting a little bit older. He should be in his like awkward phase and is totally doing it just right. Yeah. Um. And uh, unless he like you know his final form is a total mutant, <laughs> I think he's gonna. I think he's going to be doing very well for himself in the next five to ten years. I agree. I think. Um. Yeah. He he's really good in. This. I mean, he only has like a couple scenes in here, but he is. Um, he, he makes holding that camera. Yeah. He makes those scenes work. Um, there's also a fun cameo from Ray Liotta. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's kind of playing the culmination of his career of sleazebag criminals. Yeah, he's um, he's full on Ray Liotta. Uh, uh, Julia Fox from Uncut Gems playing a similar character, but with a very different take yeah. on that and a very... Uh, Obviously different time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I really liked her performance a lot because yeah, there's there's no um, there's no weak links and it's a very big cast and you know there's a lot of places like these smaller characters or whatever that you might you might feel like somebody's gonna drop the ball and nobody really does everyone's putting in work. Also, um, shout out to Bill Duke. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen him in anything and and he's great as well. Yeah, so it's. As far as, yeah, characters go, as far as performances go, like, you'll get your money's worth from this. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really well-made, well-told story. Uh, you said you wanted to, to talk a little bit about the uh, the choice of that camera lens. Did that distract you too much? <sighs> there were... I don't think it distracted me too much, but it, it was a noticeable thing. And sometimes with noticeable things, I'm like... There, there are shots where I'm like, I feel like this could have been better without it. Um, I, I don't know that we needed it sort of throughout. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. It, it, that to me, that was it was a little distracting at times. But 
it's not so apparent that it like killed the movie for me or anything. And right, and I think um, a lot of younger viewers who are used to digital filmmaking, where you know those sort of camera effects and stuff are used all the time, or you know even if it's just watching skateboard videos or whatever, they're going to be more kind of accustomed to that. Yeah, I I sort of agree. I think I I think there's scenes where it works and there's scenes where it doesn't. But it is sort of an all or nothing kind of thing. Like you can't really mm-hmm. jump from one type of lens to another without it drawing even more attention. I yeah. think the idea behind it was to um, sort of like bake the unease in into the visual. Yeah, and and like I think the, it does that I, in a I, way like a noirs of the uh, 40s and 50s would Dutch angle everything. You know, yeah. this is just kind of a Kind of doing a similar well. I mean, there's appeal, but there's also shots where they do that as well, and so yeah. sometimes it feels like a little bit of overkill. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I guess I just I don't know that I needed it throughout, but yeah, I like the super wide lens. I like the you know taking in like these street scenes where you just see everything. Yeah. Um. And uh. And you know, letting like entire scenes play out in one shot but um but yeah sometimes uh, sometimes especially when the camera's moving it feels weird yeah yeah but it, but again it, it didn't it didn't kill anything for me i just don't know that we necessarily needed it but um, right it's fine uh so yeah. what is your final rating on no sudden move i'm going to give it a b plus i like it a lot and i actually even though there's so much cool stuff happening in this movie, and it's such a small movie that I feel like it's going to kind of be forgotten. Mm-hmm. I would I would put uh, Don Cheadle in consideration for he's so towards good. the end of the year when we're talking about that stuff. Because he's, so he's, he's really playing to his age yeah. in this movie. And, you know, sometimes... And it's a very different character than we've seen from Don Cheadle before. Right, because usually he plays, like, very earnest, very you know, like trustworthy characters. And he is to a certain extent playing on that, mm. but it's like grizzled and beaten up. And yeah, he's you usually know, a little more affable, a little more, more world weary um, in, yeah. in this version of it. I mean, I, I if, if we're talking that I also think this is a career best for Benicio del Toro. Like he's, he, he he's also in familiar territory of this. Yeah. Like, can we trust this guy kind of, um, he feels a little bit more supporting to me in this. Like I feel like his he he's there to more yes, as a foil. I, I do agree. I but, I agree with that. But I think yeah. he is. Um, he's definitely giving us peak Benicio. Where you know he's doing so, what he does. Yeah. Sometimes he can be uh you know a little idiosyncratic that it can be a little overwhelming. But this <laughs> is uh I think again uh. He's, he's doing a really good job here. Uh, I I give this movie an A minus. Um, I just think again with the opening and the ending, like like this is just functioning at a higher level than a lot of movies are uh, right. nowadays. Um, so I just have to e- even where it slouches a little bit, um, it I think makes up for that. So yeah. for me, this is an A minus. Even though he's done movies in this territory so many times, this mm-hmm. still feels fresh. 
this still right. feels like Steven Soderbergh is like, yeah, I've got a different take on this. I've got a different angle. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and it's like genuine. There's kind of a darkness here that I, we haven't seen from him in a while. That's I true. Feel. Yeah, this isn't like cool and jazzy, and you know, everyone's you know sexy and everything. Like it's this still, is this is the cool underbelly. And, it's still cool and and sexy in its way, but not in a in yeah. Ocean's Eleven Logan Lucky way. This is it's not as slick. Yeah. But yeah, this, uh, this movie feels a lot more lived in and uh, grimy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Cool. All right. Uh, so does that mean I have to describe <laughs> Hell Comes to Frogtown? Yeah. Moving on to our streaming homework, which you can watch on Shudder or Tubi. Uh, the 1988 movie, <laughs> Hell Comes <laughs> to Frogtown. Yes. The post-apocalyptic sex comedy you didn't know you wanted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, like I said, I was surprised I'd never heard of this movie, let alone seen it already, because there's so many things about it that are, like, my type of culty, pulpy nonsense. <laughs> I swear to God, this was featured in, like, a documentary or something that we watched. It's not a canon film, is it? No, I don't think Although it's... it doesn't feel far af- adrift from that world. Yeah, <clears throat> that's true. Um, but I don't think it is. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think it was canon. Correct um, me if I'm wrong. But um, so okay, so Roddy Rowdy Piper, the wrestler, uh, stars in this film, and I want to say this is like the same year They Live came out. Uh, maybe '87. Uh, yeah, this was '88, and They Live was. Yeah, this was the same year as They Live. Yeah, which, big year for Roddy Rowdy Piper yeah. in film. Um, and this, like I said, takes place in the post-apocalypse. There's been a nuclear holocaust. And uh, uh, he plays kind of a traitor and and a uh, desert straggler um, who gets captured by whatever remnants of a government that's left. And uh, the women of this agency want to employ him specifically because he has a uh, high potency um sperm count. Yes, he's very fertile. He's very uh, fertile. Apparently he's, he's <laughs> the last like 10, 10 towns he's been in he's like impregnated 10, like 12 women or yeah, something like that. Something yeah. ridiculous. And so they want to repopulate the earth uh with his with his sperm. So they decide to uh take him on a a mission um through the <laughs> desert uh, finding survivors to, uh, you know, have well, specific, copious so amounts of sex with. Specifically, they want to take him into the uh, territory uh, controlled by this mutant race of frog people called yes. Frogtown, where they're holding a harem of women captive mm-hmm. so that he can free the women and get them all pregnant. <laughs> yes, that is what is happening. Weirdly enough, there is some, like, structural comparisons you can make between this and Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, yeah. No, I, I'm not disagreeing I mean, it doesn't you. have, like, the crazy chase scenes and, and all the, you know, the big high-budget uh, well, sandstorm and, stuff and whatever. And it kind of says the quiet part out loud with, like, yeah. this guy, you know, this lone man to get all these women pregnant well i don't know if if that was even in the subtext of of uh 
of Mad Max Fury that's Road. True, but, but, but but that is specifically basically the same thing. He's like rescuing these women who are sex slaves to this overlord in, you know, uh, raider territory and has to escape. And then and he, the person who's bringing him along, it's like a warrior woman. I'm just saying. Well, I think, uh, I mean, Sentinella <laughs> even kind of, I mean, she has some very Furiosa vibes. I... Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable to to draw that comparison, but this but this movie is also drawing a lot from Mad Max. So right, it's like, yeah. So this is a post. This is like a post Mad Max parody, basically. I mean, this is more or less a comedy, but it's comedy sci fi. Um, yeah, and it is pretty cheesy. Yeah, it I is. Mean, the, I think the first. 20 minutes of this basically feels like the setup for a porno. Very much so. Yes. Or, or at the very least, it kind of like up until we start getting into like mutant frog fights. Yeah. Towards the, the middle of the movie where, um, we, we enter frog hell, uh, frog town. Actually, at that point, I wasn't even sure if there were frog people. I thought like they yeah, just they kind called of, it frog town. Well, they kind of sleep on the frog people. Like it, it, it it's it, a reveal. Yeah. It's, so there's kind of this cold open to the movie, which sets up sort of the world we're living in. Uh-huh. Um, there is a frog person in that scene, but they're like masked and, and yeah, they're like they're covering like sand gear and stuff. Can't really tell that they're mutants. So I just thought mutants meant like nuclear mutants, you know, yeah, and like, that they were going to be like Frog Town is a metaphor, but no, right? No, but it's the, literally frog people. It's people who are also frogs. <laughs> Yes, and and uh, once we get into the second half of the film, it starts to kind of play out a little bit more like uh, Star Wars Cantina meets the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got Super Mario's vibes a lot. Uh, I also was kind of reminded of that movie, Mom and Dad Save the World. Do you do you remember that one with Mm -hmm. um? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, The the frog makeup effects are actually pretty legit. They look good. Their their mouths, for this type of movie. Their mouths kind of don't sync up uh, exactly right, but the frog faces, yeah, they for look really pre- good. Pre Ninja Turtles movie, this is pretty good. That's true, they're, and they're like legit slimy, and and mm-hmm. uh, they're pretty. They fun. don't chintz on the 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 frog effects. Yeah, I mean, um, that's clearly where all the budget all the money is spent yeah <laughs> uh but yeah the first half of the film when it's just you know him Roddy Roddy Piper and he and they're talking to him you know and he, and he's surrounded by all these you know supermodel looking women with with guns and bikinis that want to have sex with him that want to have sex want to have sex with him but but um also control like a a device that could blow up his crotch at any moment <laughs> Um, there was aspects of it that felt a little bit Barbarella, uh-huh. a little bit Dino Dino Laurentiis, um, and a little bit like exploitation nudie cutie stuff from like the late sixties. Yeah. And I thought that that was kind of like what it was going for. And, and I think it is to a certain extent that is definitely the type of stuff they're referring to. Um, but then once the we like get into the real sci-fi nature of the movie, yeah. Once it, this movie uh, gets to Frogtown, it is a very different movie. And yeah, it then it becomes a full-on action crazy. comedy. Yeah, and um, and I think this is kind of great. <laughs> like I really did enjoy this a lot. As campy and ridiculous as well, it is, 
It's knowingly so. Yes, it is firmly within the camp territory. And also, yeah. watching this movie with 2020 eyes, I think you have to kind of understand that because, like, the first thing we learn about Sam Hell is he, like, sexually assaults a woman. Uh, uh, like, that's what he's, like, being held for. But then they let him go because she's happy because she got pregnant. Like, oh, right, right. Uh, uh, so yeah. that's kind of where I'm, I'm, like, the exploitation. Well, that, but that's what I mean. Like, you have to watch yeah. this movie from that lens. Like, you have to be able to have fun with this yeah. kind of material because it it is sexually exploitive. Like, there's 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 like a Russ Meyery, you know, faster pussycat kill kill vibe to but, it. I mean, it's a, there's a there's a lot of cheesecake. But going there's also on. okay, and maybe this is totally. And I say that as a big Russ Meyer fan. And, and th- maybe this is totally weird. But there's also some slight like feminism to this movie, like like maybe uh, unintentional. It, yeah. uh, maybe it's unintentional. I mean, but that's I, where I would say like Mad Max Fury Road takes these themes, yes. and you know drives them home and has intentionality to it, yes. and so it kind it create it enforces those narratives as opposed to sort of stumbling on them. Well, well yeah, yeah, exactly, because like. Uh, you know, there's elements of this movie, you know, where women kind of control the earth, it seems. Like, women are in charge. Uh, uh, there's this whole... I, again, I don't think it is intended subtext, mm-hmm. but there's this whole, like, through line where she, like, literally controls his crotch and can, like, just, like, blow Destroyed it Destroyed in any moment, but, yeah. But then, you know, once he's sort of freed from this and he comes back to them on his own terms, like, there's some weird stuff, like, working in this movie that that I don't think they intended. I think absolutely they intended it to just be, like, funny let's have these and, hot and women kind of sexy. Yeah. Sort of um, taboo, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and, like, I think... You know, Sam Hell, like he kind of he falls for this main woman and and but still has to like do his duty to bang all these other hot women. It is a <laughs> wild movie. It it is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> now, I have a question. Uh-huh. Um, and there might not be an answer to it. Are we supposed to find Roddy Rowdy Piper hot? Uh because there's this mm-hmm, movie mm-hmm. where he is clearly sexualized. Uh-huh. And he's basically made out to be just this hunk of man meat yes. for the for the sole purpose of of virality. And then in um, they live, there's like that scene with the jackhammer where he's shirtless, and uh, well, uh, they play on that a little bit, not nearly as much as this movie. Here, here's the thing, but uh, I mean, Rowdy Rowdy Popper was he was he was a, he a was a wrestler. wrestler. He was he, famous. He he he, he has. And, and he has a good body. Like, he's very muscular. He's very... But I I don't think... I, I mean, But it's not like movie star mus- muscular, you know? It's not, And maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just thinking not, about it in terms lean. of, uh, it, you know, the, of what we consider, like, sexually appealing in, Here's like, the, the last, like, 20, 30 years, as opposed to back then, which... Uh, I, I think... Ra- I don't I know. think Roddy Piper certainly has a charm, and... I think I don't think they're necessarily not saying, the best actor in the world. No, but I kind of he's kind of kind of like for this he, he yeah in this and even they live, um, he sort of fits into the the camp 
of it all. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I think he probably would have been one of the first people to admit that. Like, Yeah, he was never going to be another Schwarzenegger. No, and I, I don't... But, I don't or think, even a Van Damme. <laughs> I don't think that's... I don't think he was necessarily even trying for that. I was trying a little. I, I think at a point in time, he was kind of going for that, and then he was like, eh. I don't know. I, I mean, he was sort of one of the first generation of wrestlers to become superstars and to to transition to acting yeah he, he is sort of a you know he's the same alumni as like hulk hogan yeah he's part stuff. of that whole like 80s wwf you know yeah they, they paved body the way. pillow era yeah they paved the way for superstars like jake the snake and yeah uh, but but Thunder. i mean like I, I guess my question to you is, do you find The Rock hot? Do you find John Cena hot? Because I think... More so than more so than uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, yes. I, think, I, I mean, no offense to John Cena, I don't... I, I think he... I think they're operating on a similar level. I think, you know, <laughs> they're, they're... I think in this movie... I mean, I'll say this about them, and I'll say this as somebody who's not entirely heterosexual. Um, I find that style of muscular bulkiness to be like more utilitarian in nature than than yeah it's, it's sexual much and that's uh, personal tastes whatever well and, i get and, it and again these but i just think that roddy roddy about- piper specifically as an actor as with that body which he almost feels it almost looks like he feels uncomfortable in it and that ridiculous, like, page boy haircut, like, the whole thing, I guess we're coming off of He-Man Masters of the Universe at this it, point. Well, yeah, that was a very, uh, the hair is not, <laughs> the hair is very of the time. Actually, I bet people loved the, his hair at the time. Maybe, so, yeah. I, 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 just, I, think, I just think it's funny that the whole movie is, like, trying to sell him as, like, he's this hot beefcake okay, I, and everybody wants him I, and I he haven't get you pregnant just by staring point, at you. I haven't got to the point that I want to get at, but I, I just want to reiterate, I think the John Cena comparison is very apt. We There's, need a tiebreaker. Can you bring in your wife for a second? She's actually not here tonight. Oh, God. Uh, and, and, and I don't think she's particularly <laughs> familiar with Rowdy Piper. Uh, just show her a picture. But here's the thing. I think part of Rowdy Piper's Charm is his personality. I think it always it always was, and okay. I think in this movie specifically, they are they are trying to portray him as the most masculine man. It's well, not sure. ne- yeah, it's not necessarily that he's the most attractive man. Like he's he's not Tom Cruise, and yeah. again, I think he would be one of the first people to admit that. But he is he's a muscular man. He he seems like the kind of guy who can just like grab you and th- drag you to his cave right right but that's it, the idea but in a sexy way in in a in a in in as sexy as that can be kind of way so i don't i don't think they're saying he's like the beefcake to be all beefcakes but i think they're saying like you know it's the end of the right. world and this dude can get you pregnant like i i right. think they're but if selling- it was, i'm just saying like if it was 1980s mel gibson this makes sense but I, think, I think this makes sense perfectly for where he's at. I yeah. think the end of the world, Roddy Piper would have been cleaning up. He'd been slaying. Yeah, i i don't okay. I don't think he's I don't think he's unattractive. I think it's just he's got kind of a mug, but he's <laughs> again. I think his personality kind of makes up for that. I think he's he's yeah, charming. I do like the and- sequence where either at the where they're at the um. 
the the tent, you know, at night they're in the desert and there's this woman who's supposed to copulate with and they've injected her with some sort of horny serum. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The handler's there. Like, she's going to watch to make sure it goes down correctly. And they're, they're building this tension between them the whole movie. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, I just can't, you know do that like you know i had to get to know her and you know all this <laughs> stuff so I, I i thought that he was very charming in that sequence and that's when i decided okay i actually like his performance Ex- in this movie yes exactly and and i think you do kind of have to warm up to him because again viewing it from a 2021 perspective yeah it, at first i'm like why am i rooting for this guy <laughs> um right and it's playing also on like western tropes and stuff as well yeah but in that yeah, yeah in those moments like I think he really sells it. Uh, there's some weird stuff in this movie. Well, this whole movie is bug nuts insane. <laughs> and I definitely recommend that people watch it just for that. Know what you're watching. Yes. Don't go. Don't watch this thinking you're going to watch, you know, even Escape from New York. You know, <laughs> no. this is. This is Escape a, from New York. A, this is the, like. This is a cheesy movie. This is a <laughs> cheesy movie that knows it's a cheesy movie. It's having fun with the cheese. But it is asking you to play along. Yeah. And if you're you got to suspend the disbelief a lot. And it's I also it's, a comedy. You have to watch this. It's not when you're laughing. You, th- you might think you're laughing at it, but you're actually most of the time laughing with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think this movie is a lot of fun. It is just yeah. uh, it is totally cheesy and campy and 80s and like all of those things. But as good descriptors it is it feels a little out of time it feels like this should have come out in like 1980 81 82 not 88 88 i feel like it's very like we're transitioning to the 90s now and this is has nothing of the sensibility of the 90s <laughs> yeah that's maybe outside of a verhoven thing it, it kind yeah it kind of feels <laughs> a little verhoven um but with like no budget <laughs> yeah yeah uh, like if you made total recall for 12 bucks <laughs> yeah all right so that's hell comes to frogtown um tacit endorsement there's also a really fun sequence uh where he where like sort of the tides turn and they're like undercover and he meets this frog frog guy that's trying to make this deal this sort of feels like a frog out of like like if this frog came from Casablanca, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, that to me, I that was like my favorite part of the movie is because it, it's sort of this transition from into like a different movie. This is our yeah. first introduction to Frogtown, and then there's the frog with the eye patch shows up. It is, I think, the best sequence in this movie. It is just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um. And uh, that's going to be that for this week. Uh, next week for the streaming homework, we're going to have some guests on. Uh, and we'll be specifically talking about Jungle Cruise with the hosts of the podcast, Those Happy Places. They talk about uh, theme park rides as literature. So we'll be talking about uh, the, uh, we'll be talking about Jungle Cruise as our main review, and they have chose for us to watch as the streaming homework uh, 2003's The Haunted Mansion, um, cool. which I've never seen. I don't know out of the four of us how many of us have seen it, but uh, yeah, I also have not seen it. And mm-hmm. I, I've actually always been kind of curious about this movie um, because sure. uh, at this 
time, Disney was trying to like kind of make their rides into movies. Pirates of the Caribbean was obviously a huge success. Yeah. And they're kind of trying to have uh, another hit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't work out. I think the way anybody kind of wanted that to, but um, all right. Yeah, I'm so sure I, we'll get into all of this when we talk about it next week. Um, but if anybody has anything to say about those movies or any of the movies we talked about um, here, uh, any of our takes on Soderbergh films, um, you can contact us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also contact us at our social media at mcguffinpod and Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod. And you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at BC Cassidy. You can read the movie reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. Leave us a five-star review and a one-sentence blurb over at your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, Player.fm, whichever one you like to use. Uh, Google Podcasts, we're on there now. Yeah, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. You can also check out my art account at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Okay. Eat lead, froggies. Bye.